This is the Skelf Podcast, and I am Mark Belden. Skelf is to be found at www.skelf.org.uk. It's a virtual project space, accessible to anyone, everywhere. Like a physical artist-run gallery, it's a space created and curated by artists, presenting work in different ways. It's not the documentation of an exhibition happening somewhere else. The site is the space, and the visitor is you, on your computer or device. My guest this time is London-based artist Robin Tarbett. Robin runs Swap Editions, and as Swap, he has put together the new exhibition on Scalf, which is simultaneously the new edition from Swap, Edition 5, Island. I guess I should introduce Swap Editions. Started in 2017, Swap invites artists to create a small artwork as an artist multiple. This can be a cast, or a photo, or a print, or anything that can be made serially. All the artworks from the participating artists are combined to make a sort of box set, and then each of the artists receives one of these full published editions. A set is given to whatever gallery or organization hosts the project, and sets of each edition are also placed in public archives. Swap does not sell the editions. I sat down with Robin and we went through a short history of Swap, and also talked a bit about the process of putting together Edition 5 Island on Skelf. As part of the new project, each of the artists contributed a short audio clip. Robin was kind enough to compile these into a collage. Let's hear that, and then my conversation with Robin. I suppose for, for me, Swap started, um, so t- just a little bit about my background, I suppose. I, I studied printmaking um, through BA and MA, so I think as a practice of my own art, my own art practice myself, I make a lot of um, objects and prints and multiples, and I've always been around lots and lots of series of small works that I suppose were kicking around my studio a lot. And about four or five years ago, I've always thought about that idea that instead of having all my work in store as a storage problem, Actually, it would be really great to collect other people's work. But I, and also, I look after other people's work much better than I look after my own work. So actually, um, from being at Union um, Royal College, where we used to do box sets and sets of work, where there was a commercial aspect to selling them, but also a, a sort of you got to keep one, or the artist. It's effectively swappers. That's a very long answer, but swappers are extension of the idea of the printer's set or the printer's proof. Okay. So yeah. as a... Um, project it's thinking about artists making multiples that actually the value of it is they get a complete set of everyone else's multiples back so they make a series for everyone and an institution gets it and I get a set and the value of it is um, they actually it's almost like a small collection so it's like a group show that you can own and do what you want with and actually if you want to sell it you can sell it but the as a project it's never for sale and that also means that I can work with artists who are either commercially represented or 
actually wouldn't necessarily, or it would make things very difficult within the market, so to speak. And okay. I, yeah. um, and I've always been, I've always worked as a technician around things like freeze art fair and art, general art fairs and art installations and things like that. So I've always sort of thought, wouldn't it be nice to try and do something that's more focused on art as an object that you could actually have around your own home or your own domestic collection or actually you might even like <laughs> rather than that you buy as an investment or it's a collection in an institution or it's kind of something that actually I love it. My, my favourite endings to the swap sets are often when I know people have opened them and there's kind of someone's work in someone's kitchen on the shelf by the cornflakes or they've got this piece up in their bedroom because they really like it or you know so the box sets sometimes get kept together and sometimes get split up in a way that you know people just really like particular artists work and they kind of cherish them a bit. Each of the editions goes into like an archive yeah um, from with a lot of sort of educational archive or um, with the colleges? Or with it's a growing mix. I think when I set Swap Up, what I wanted to do was, um, it took a long time to work out that 18 was quite a good number for a set of, of an edition because it meant artists could do it in a way that it wasn't too laborious, but it gave enough of a set to actually become serious. And then with that, I could do, every artist within the project could have a set back that probably gets rid of around 12, go back to the artist. The gallery can have a set who either hosts the launch or has something to do with it in some way. A designer or um, kind of a participant in some way can have a set for doing either the casing or the logos or something like that. And then that gave me often three or four sets left to... Um, I'm, I'm really keen to try and keep the almost the public legacy of it as well as a collection. So actually for artists, the value is not only they get their own work, they get a set of work back, but they also um, have work then publicly owned in collections like UC, UCL, Special Collection, the Royal College of Art, various other universities, Kingston University. Um, so they actually kind of survive for much longer than <laughs> necessary. Or they're, they're, oh, that's a weird way of putting it, but they're actually then become actually publicly owned for a lot of other people to see in the future. Okay. And it, um, is that sort of a different conversation for each edition? Um, of it? it tends to be. It's, it's the part of the project that took the longest to set up. It's taken a few... When I did the first Swap Editions ad hoc, without actually having a, a project to approach institutions with, it was quite difficult to start a conversation. Now we're, what's the word, to the fifth one it's becoming much easier to actually show the importance of it. And now I'm beginning to try and get more interest, and hopefully from other places around the world, not just within the UK. So I suppose I've started off with some of the collections that I'm aware of. And now that's the bit that now there's an archive of back projects that I'd like to actually go back and really focus on. Um, there are other collections that I'm becoming aware of that would suit some of the earlier editions, now that I know about them more. I was wondering, when, when you did the first edition at... So was that a caster in... Yeah, so the first swap editions number one was called Ad Hoc. Um, and it came about partly because I, I thought... I was trying to think of how could I sum up the setting up of a sort of multiple unfunded um, editions project. And I just thought the idea of working in an ad hoc manner um, was particularly sort of suitable. And I'd, I'd read a, an article by Joanne Lee, who... Was in also 
I invited as part of the first project, who ad hocism. Um, a few years ago, and it just suddenly made me think that actually that idea of working in an ad hoc nature, inviting artists to participate in a project that they're not too sure what it's all about and how it's going to work, um, also kind of summed up how I was working as an artist or how we all feel <laughs> sort of surviving yeah. as an artist in London. So ad hoc was the first one, and um, I, I was sort of, scra- sort of mentioning it to people that I wanted to do this thing, I didn't want to do it as an exhibition, but I was interested in trying to get Swap as a sort of almost like fit it into the downtimes of gallery spaces. So I don't want to do an exhibition where I have to invigilate it for a month. It doesn't need, the focus of the, the project isn't about the exhibition as such, that's the launch of it. And as a, as a public facing bit of it, it was really nice to invite people in, invite the artists, put on an exhibition, take the photographs, document it. And um, Andy Wicks at Castor, we were, we were having a beer one night and we were just sort of chatting about art and the usual kind of artists. I, I've known Andy for quite a long time. Um, and he just suggested that he would be quite interested in um, maybe, you know, offering casting projects as the first one, which my studio at the time was just near, I was kind of in Bermondsey moving towards um, Deptford. So it's kind of a perfect start to the project, really. So we did it over a weekend. It was a, the downtime of... Um, between exhibitions where just the Friday, I inst- the Thursday I installed it, we had an exhibition on the Friday, private view, it was open on the Saturday and then it came down on the Sunday and it was just a really nice little quick in between his installation shows. And of course Andy then um, had a set of the first um, editions for, as a sort of in exchange for offering me the gallery space. So it's kind of as a collector himself and a gallerist, he's got one of the first set which also included artists like Rachel Champion that even before I'd mentioned it to him, I'd already got involved in the project. So it's kind of quite a nice um, use of artists that he's worked with as well as um, new artists into the introduction that he's also now looking or working with a bit in the future himself. Each of the shows ends up in these, or each of the editions ends up in this partnership with other organisations, even if it's something like, well, given the title ad hoc, the first yeah, one yeah. happened maybe more informally. But um, does that does that change as you go into the, the yeah, it's subsequent editions? The thing yeah. I realised really quickly on was um, I didn't want to endlessly repeat the same formula. So by setting up swap editions as a project, that was that's a formula in a, enough in itself that then enabled me to. The first one was working with Castor Projects. Uh, small commercial gallery in Deptford um, and we did very much of a kind of a white cube type exhibition. The second one then, uh, the thing I didn't want to do was repeat that so um, that came around. Edition number two was called Trade which I thought was a, a almost a sort of from moving on from the ad hoc nature of the first one. The second one was in the autumn time of 2016 or 17. 17. I'm going to say oh, 2017. It 17. No, I, I suddenly did yeah, because we're 2020 now. So 2017, around the freeze art fair period, um, where London just goes batshit for art fairs. So it just seemed a good time for trade as a um, artist responding to trade and commerce in some way. Um, I was in conversation with Holly from Artlicks, and I know Artlicks has had a lot of mentions mm. on Scalf podcasts in the past. Um, Holly was doing um, 
the art licks where it was all about independent working and artist run organizations and um, just generally kind of putting people together that were organizing their own grassroots stuff and I was where I got involved with set set space down okay. in Bermondsey um, in that Ascot Road and they had a project space that's quite a big dusty kind of warehouse space so the second of the swap editions was very much kind of it was done on pallets, it was done on boxes wrapped in shrink wrap, and then the, the items were kind of laid out in this sort of pseudo, I guess almost kind of like Harvest Festival shop display. It was quite okay. grimy in some ways. So it was kind of almost the opposite of the, the ad hoc one that was the first very white cube, very plush, quite um, deliberately clean. And the second one was a bit grottier in a sort of warehouse space. Um, it wasn't trying to be a white cube show. And it was also happening at the same time that they were having in set space an event on alternative art schools and artist-run activities where lots of other, I suppose, alternative BA courses and um, things like School of the Damned and Old MFA and all those kind of courses were having a, um, a conference day on um, alternative practices. So it was in the backdrop of that. So we did the same, a, a private view. It was open for the day and then that came down as the second one. And I kind of like that contrast of this was working with not just a, an artist-run organisation set space rather than a commercial gallery, but also in, in a slightly different way of putting on a show, set, have a set of the works from edition two and trade in their collection, and that's something they're trying to build up. Um, so it was a good kind of um, combination of working with Artlix and working with an artist-run space for number two. And, and did you just do... Did you just do an opening in one day? We did the... Or, or did was, you do the whole I, weekend? I put or? it up on the Friday, opened on the Friday night. We had it open on the Saturday while there was an event going on, and then it basically closed on the Sunday. So it's a very much of a quick oh, okay. yeah. sort of two-day... You've got a very short period of time to see it as a, a physical exhibition, um, which I actually quite like, because it, it puts all emphasis on the event of the private view of the launch. So it's almost... Uh, seeing it more as like a launch event rather than an exhibition um, and then the third one I thought I'd actually after doing a two after doing two, the first two with about 12 artists what would it would be like to actually go upwards in numbers a bit more and actually work with students just to see how that would work um, so I've, I've, always, I've been a, a, a tutor or I was tutor for about since sort of 15 years or so on and off so um, the idea of actually working with students, doing quite a big open call, it was, I'd started conversations with um, UCL's Small Press Project, which is a brilliant project that's run as part of the Slade School, where they look into publishing and alternative publishing type practices as an art practice. So I, I like the idea of partnering with an institution like that as them to put it out as an open call. And I was teaching at Kingston University at the time, so... It seemed quite interesting to offer it to foundation students as the basis of what are the youngest level of um, art, fine arts students or art, emerging artists you could work with and actually just throw them a thing of, I want an edition of 54, which is really big, and the project is called Artists as Machine. So thinking about actually the production of how do you mass produce artworks. Um, the limitations were very much of a a square format of 20, I think 28 centimetres, so it fitted inside a pizza box. So okay. It was kind of presented very much as a, um, the parameters of making the art were quite set out, but the project was artist as machine. How do you respond to that? 
and it was working with two institutions, Kingston and Slade, and actually seeing how those all fit together. So that was a really big project that took a lot of organising behind the scenes. Just okay. to, yeah, I, I had slightly underestimated how much bit, how many bits of paper or how many bits of art that would be. So there was in the end 37 odd artists all making an edition of 54. So there was thousands of bits of paper in my oh, wow. studio at one point, which um, was kind of good fun, but also sort of publishing them all into 54 sets, which um, the artists got them back, both the institutions have them, and they're also in collections like the Royal College and UC, um, UCL Special Collections, as well as um, they're quite, there's quite a nice set, that one to send out, because it's, it's mainly paper-based, so it is mm. the size of a pizza box. So it's quite a simple one. And we did that in, the, what at the time it was called the New Shoreditch Theatre, which was a performance space in um, the basement of what was the foundry in Shoreditch, which was one of my favourite pubs when it, Shoreditch was yeah, interesting. Yeah. And, we, and that's, that building's gone That now. building's now a twatty hotel, so... Um, <laughs> Yeah, that was well. Shame. Not even yet. It's, <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's on going the way. To be, yeah. <laughs> but I, I liked um, that was uh, yeah. Almost like they were all the prints were hung up like this sort of anarchic washing line of um, squares that all fitted together like a big collage in a space. So it was quite theatrical. It was a bit like a maze, and that was just a one day. If we put them up in the day, and then it got shown in the evening, and then it all came down that night. So it was very much of a quick event that one. Um, but again, it was working with a, a black box space in the basement of a theatre rather than a sort of an art space. So it was, that was quite interesting. So that was also about how to, how to make lots of, effectively lots of bits of square paper artworks with no white walls, an interesting installation and a presentation for the, for the evening. Um, so that became quite sculptural and quite kind of, it took on its own thing, which I really liked in the, the basis of doing it. Um, which again added another thing to the project and then the fourth one came around where I, I was going to mention Brexit at some point because how yeah. can you not um, and I just like the idea of this thing Brexit is happening whatever our views on it I'm sure everyone knows my views on it but it is here <laughs> and actually as artists what would we want in a survival kit to help us deal with it so I thought, yeah, so yeah. edition four was the Brex kit, um, which was an open call and the first open call um, submission project I've ever done, which is quite interesting. It's quite, it's quite a, okay. an odd thing when you well, throw uh, an open call out. Three was a bit, was that just three all the was, students? Or was, or was I suppose it? it was an open call, but it was within the parameters of two institutions. So it's okay, kind of, yeah. I knew more the type of works I was going to get from the three. Um, Brex kit, I thought, well, let's be really democratic with this and let's throw it out there as an, an advert to any artist. Um, and it was basically just responding to, we're going to make a Brex kit to help us deal with this thing that's happening, like it or not. As part of a project, the thing I really would have really liked is a couple of things in it that actually were genuine, for whatever reason, from artists who actually had a different view because that would have slightly represented more of what was going on in the country. Whereas I think what we created was a, a brilliant set of artworks, but it was very much a survival kit based on this thing that none of us want to happen. Um, and that was all wrapped up in a kind of tarpaulin, like plastic um, sort of case that could be sent out as a survival kit. So it's sort of playing on that. If you were stuck on a, stuck with this thing that's going to happen called Brexit, 
um, as an artist, your art collection existed on things like um, there was a set of flags to when speech breaks down, you can sort of communicate with each other without shouting at each other. Or there's things like um, um, how to grind your own grain, little ceramic pieces and kind of various kind of bits and pieces that actually had uh, little cyanotypes in bottles and kind of slightly romanticised but also objects that kind of could be useful in some way. Um, and that we did that one at Creekside in, in the studio project in um, where, my, where my studio are. Because um, I just thought it was a good, again, going after doing the third one in a, a sort of theatre space, to actually use a studio project space, um, which was my studio, so I could actually, it's very easy to, to work with it as a space, which the bit that I found quite tricky sometimes is trying to find space, particularly in London. So with the thing about the, the fourth edition, it put all the emphasis on the production of the set rather than me having to try and blag a space off someone. Um, which I wanted to do that one as well, particularly around, it was the end of March when Brexit was supposed to happen <laughs> at that time. So it was a kind of like, this is going to happen in the weeks, we'll launch it then. Um, so that was, and that was, a, that was a brilliant little set. I really enjoyed doing that one. Mm. Um, and it, again, it's a very different feeling set to the, the third one and the second and first. Um, and then the f- fifth one that I'm currently just, well, we're working on as we're recording this, um, Island. Again, another open call is almost the second one in, um, it's, it, I guess, the partner one to the Brexit in a landscape of Brexit now seemingly is happening. So actually, as, a, a, as the UK, you know, what are we as an island? Yeah. Um, and I think that fear of um, being isolated that a lot of us feel, actually... How do artists respond to that? So that was... Yeah. I found myself thinking about like the word insular, mm. which actually literally yeah. just means like of an island, yeah. but has these other meanings of isolation and... Uh... A sort of isolationist and remoteness and, and also actually what, as a, a nation, I think we're talked a lot about, you know, Britain or UK, whatever, we have made a choice. Whereas actually within that choice, there's a lot of people that, don't necessarily all agree the same. So actually, I don't feel like as a, a country or a United Kingdom, it's as simple as a decision yeah. has been made. So actually, as a, you know, to try and work with artists from around the country in different places. And also the island, think about islands within an island um, with this project a bit. Well, because I guess the, tech, the sort of the UK is like an archipelago. Mm. Like it's a bunch of islands. There's a lot of islands yeah. in the UK. I, must have, I didn't quite realize. I should yeah. know exactly how many they are because I've written it down at some point this week. But I couldn't tell you. <laughs> and then almost continuing the idea of the island, there's a bit of the artists who were in the show aren't necessarily aware of the other artists. Yeah, so I thought with this one, um, what I normally do in the projects is once... Either the artists are confirmed or they've submitted or I've chosen. Sometimes I, I choose the artists. Sometimes I work with someone else and we kind of go through and select or invite um, with projects that I've done open calls. This one I thought I'd do an open call because it's, again, quite a, a sort of... Instead of me choosing places within the country that I'd like artists to be or respond to, um, I put it out there as far as possible to get people from all over the place that they could respond, they could apply. Um, and actually I thought, well, I'm, I still haven't actually told the others who's in it yet. So there's 10 artists in this um, project, but 
they have no idea who's applied apart from themselves. So, and I thought that's a kind of, to get all the information I need from them and for them to start submitting their ideas um, and we're building the Scalf site and we're kind of put, setting up a lot of the systems that we need to do for the project, both with um, Scalf as the online side of it and um, the addition as Swap without the artist knowing who else is in it. So it's, kind of, it's, it's sort of them submitting information quite blindly that I'm quite enjoying, which also seems to quite nicely reflect the state of the country at the moment. Is it going to be a kind of screen of static or kind of... So the, the, the thinking or the, what's being put together at the moment with Scalf is um, as, an, as, a, as a way of working... I was really keen to work with Scalf as an online virtual... Um, I'm going to say platform or outlet for Swap at some point. Mm -hmm. So instead of working with a gallery space as much where it's a physical outcome, I like the Scalf is brilliant because it's, it's virtual so it's accessible to people all over the place, which then of course meant actually therefore the artist... What normally happens in Swap is there's a lot of kind of to and froing of me collecting things and meeting with artists and um, sort of in person. Whereas with the idea that the bulk of this project is actually virtual it actually means that I don't I might not meet a lot of the artists or the artists might not meet each other in person so it means that geographically um, I can get I can deal with people up in Shetland or in Anglesey or, or much further away than I am based in London so that actually means that they can all meet together on the internet which seems to again fit the way the world is at the moment mm. you know in that sort of sense so Scalf is um as a project, it's the, I'm going to say, virtual landscape where that situates and um, fits together all the artists in the project. So they all exist in one place on Scalf, and that's probably the only place that, apart from all being as part of the United Kingdom, that's the only other place where you'll probably all see them together for this project. Yeah. And there's a kind of equality of access, like if you've got... Yeah. A decent internet connection, and you can be yes. on the remotest I, island. I did double check that with um, most people, but that that doesn't seem to be a problem. Yeah. And actually, oddly, sometimes people have better internet from islands far away than I do in uh, my flat, which I don't quite understand in London. But anyway, that seems yeah. to be quite good. Um, so what I really liked about it was the idea that I can, when we're building Scalf as a as a project space, it's the landscape where all the artists were asked to. There was an open call that went out that I asked, are you an island, question mark? And that was the, to respond with a few images and just general kind of a bit of writing about if you were an island, why are you an island? Why do you feel like you're an island? And that could be anything from you physically do live on an island remotely for whatever reason and that's your surroundings and that's why you're there. Or you actually could be in the centre of London feeling isolated because of political views or because of you actually live or, or you work on an island within London for whatever reason. Or there's kind of um, that sense of actually, do you feel like an island because of health reasons or mentality or politics or um, physical space? or So there are lots of different reasons about actually as an artist. Um, I often feel a bit like an island when I travel through Canary Wharf on my way to the studio because I go through this place that I, I, I've never worn a suit to go to work. I don't have any idea of what these people really do. And then I sort of trundle off to my studio through it all and sort of totally disconnected. So lots of applications came in from 
artists all over the country for you know why they consider themselves to be an island. Um, me and Claire at Scalf spent quite a fun morning looking through a lot of them. And we chose a, a 10 artists in total that kind of covers a range of different practices and different approaches to why they're an island. Um, and the Scalf site's being built at the moment where the 10 selected artists have been, they were asked this very sort of <laughs> quite abstract set of questions um, from, just trying to describe it, I suppose that they're asked a set of questions so that they could supply enough data and information so that we could build them an island out of the information they've submitted. Okay. So the Scalf project is, as you first go onto it as a viewer, it's a very abstract kind of, I was thinking about static, I think I'm going to use the backdrop of the Photoshop kind of black and, black and grey squares. Okay, yeah. So it's a big kind of nowhere background. Um, and within that one huge canvas plane that reaches far beyond a computer screen. So there's a lot of scrolling left and right and up and down to find the right islands that you're looking for. Um, there's the 10 artists will have their island on it. When you find them as a viewer, you scroll over and it becomes a kind of like info chart of all the information that they've submitted to me um, as part of the project, which comes up and it. I'm hoping as a viewer what it does is it, it stands out as its own project in its own right as an artwork, a bit like a digital collage, part kind of maybe, I'm going to say computer game but it, it don't really mean computer game, part kind of, I suppose it is sort of vaguely computer game but vaguely infographic or info chart, map like thing. So as a landscape it, it situates the project and actually all the artists have their own island on it. Um, where they've given their own descriptions and their own reasons. Some of them are very, very um, realistic and genuine and um, true to their situation in their life or their um, locations. And some are very fantastical and completely made up and um, fictional. So there's that nice mix of some genuine information about the artists have supplied about real things that are going on in, in the world or in their lives. And there's a nice mix of very, I suppose, fantastical, created, um, almost um, content that isn't necessarily truthful to reality, if that makes sense. So there's no there, there was no boundaries on what they could supply from images or text, and it meant that as a way of putting together the project, actually as the curator or the sort of organizer of it all, I'm along with Scalf or Claire, then putting all this information together into their sets. So what I didn't want to do necessarily was have the artist design themselves an island. It's more that we've designed a structure for their information to be put into, which then they all have their own islands. And then during the course of the exhibition, they're going, there's going to be like a physical edition yes. as well? When the, the Scalf site launches um, this January, that's the, the beginning of the project in a way that the, the artists are announced, so to speak, so that the viewers can then understand who's in the project. Um, the online virtual landscape sets the scene for then, over the next couple of months, um, artists will be creating a physical edition, much like all, all the previous swap projects, where updates can then be added into the Scalf landscape as they make it. So it's kind of the information that's come from the digital correspondence that makes Scalf is then almost mirrored in the way that the artists are in their locations wherever they are in the country physically making 
an edition that they're going to then send me. I'll put together as a set. We'll probably have a launch with the scalf backdrop at some point in a project space or a space yet to be decided um, yeah. towards the end of the, the scalf three months. So it's almost kind of a, the, the actual exhibition side of it is the finishing event of the project for scalf where also parts of the scalf um, artworks will be printed and put into the physical sets and then sent back to the artist. The same way um, Scalf will get a, a set of the whole project, um, much like the gallery spaces in before for hosting it. So it's kind of, I was interested in trying to mix that, things we do virtually with things we can do physically. And also by making a collage of a lot of the digital information the artists have submitted, I can then print those and put them physically into the sets the same way they can send us work in progress images as they make their physical work. So it's kind of thinking about the... Keen, I was keen to think about the virtual space and scalp as a, an overall collageable landscape, in a way. Okay, yeah. If that makes sense. I seem to... I, I always seem to get quite involved with doing things that, for some reason, take up a lot of my time and um, I just feel that need to be done. So, and that counts as things like, I started up Swap really, just because it was getting frustrating that I've got a lot of, art, a lot of bits of artworks that I can't sell or I, I, I don't have commercial representation as an artist. But what I do have is a lot of bits of art that a bit like a printer's proof I could swap with other friends. And I, I've got quite a nice, well, <laughs> very small collection of artworks from friends that I studied with and we used to swap lots of stuff at um, art school and actually as a project could I set this up in a way that isn't hugely time consuming for the artists it the reward of it or the value of it gets back a, a kind of decent collection for everyone um, and also puts all value and makes the most of the fact the artists making artwork that should be seen you know mm. it slightly scares me right? oh it not scares me but I always find it quite sad when artworks are sort of made and I do this all the time make them in my studio and then I kind of move them over to another bit of studio and either bubble wrap them or put them on a shelf because they're finished and they're over and they've got no kind of life to them left whereas actually the idea of adding them into a set or swapping them with other people means that actually I gain artworks from other people that I really like and also as an artist I don't have to look at, look at my own work all the time yeah, you know, I'd much yeah. rather look at other people's work at home so swap was something that I just thought, I just really want to try and set this up and see how it, work, how it runs. And I've always got involved with a few of these sort of projects, like either setting up studios or Creekside Artist Studios, where I am at the moment. It's quite a prime example of um, joining a studio group, realising that there's a bit of potential there and quite quickly, almost just because I'm willing to do it, becoming a, a trustee and a director and trying to make change mm. and trying to find a new sort of um, new establishment or new, new way of working or um, keeping the place going. Um, and actually that idea of exchange is, the economies of exchange is something that I'm, I'm getting more and more interested in from a research point of view. Just that as artists, the thing that, London is really tough and I think trying to make a living or trying to survive in mm. a city is really difficult at the moment, particularly. But actually as artists, we've got so much stuff that, we, you know, sort of the, the rest of the world wants, but there's no way of, there's no easy mechanism outside of the marketplace to exchange it for 
sort of goods or whatever. So actually, what we do have is a lot of skills. So when we were setting up Creekside Artists in a new location, the way we had to do it on a real budget was we employed a lot of um, a lot of our ex-students to actually do a lot of the building work for us for, okay, from a, yeah. a minimum wage. I'll say a, a good but an art minimum wage. Hmm. Um, and on the basis that actually what we can do for you is once this is built in a few weeks, the first exhibition we did with Creekside was um, it was called Labour Exchange, which I organised with all the art, all the art students and artists who helped put build physically build the studios, um, curated them into an exhibition. And that was done with art licks and that was done through Holly and kind of that, it, it just felt like that's, that's another good exchange of you put some time in for us, we paid you, but you put some time in over and above what you had to do really. Um, so what we can do is we've got space, you want to do exhibitions, we can put that two, those two together. Mm-hmm. And I think that as a mentality probably fits along with swap and fits along with other kind of just things that I've, I've often been, I, I've realised I've become more and more interested in the idea of exchanging and um, kind of making projects happen without a major bit of admin. I was always quite put off by the idea of I was going to be an artist and therefore I had to really focus on my artwork, which I have done and I, you know, by no means am not doing that. But actually, it's taken me quite a while to realise that that teaching was quite an important part of things that I do. Um, the same way curating, the same way organising and kind of actually making projects happen. Um, whether it's helping friends build studios or kind of setting up our own projects or scale for curating other, other things. I think that idea that actually as an artist you have to be quite a multitasker. Um, and that, that almost as a, it's, I'm not going to say socially engaged, but it's sort of, it's something that my artwork doesn't just cover me making multiples of my own work. Mm-hmm. It actually covers me, made my practice, so to speak, if you use that phrase covers me making multiples as in additions for other people with other people. I might be a technician sometimes, I might be a curator other times. And I think that general way of surviving um, with the mentality that a fine art practice just has to, has to move with whatever the situation is. Um, I probably, if someone would give me an amazing gallery space, I'd probably do lots of gallery space shows. But actually the reality of London is, the boring bit is trying to persuade people to give you spaces. And actually, that's the bit that I don't want to get as involved with. But I really like working with artists, and I really like it's it's it makes my my own work and my own practice much richer by having interesting conversations with lots of other people. And actually, I'd rather do that and work to produce work that way and publish it. And if I can set up a mechanism like Swap to get a range of artists that sometimes they're students, sometimes they're much older and more established, sometimes there's a mix in between all suddenly networking or knowing each other without me actually having to do that much. Um, I think that's really interesting. And I always like seeing when artists have been in previous um, editions with Swap, that actually then they're sort of still talking or they're in other projects together or they've kind of made friends or because they own each other's work now and there's a kind of, not a relationship, but there's a sort of, there's a history of um, working together. There was, a, there was one random thing you mentioned in the email. Um, you, you once worked at a circus? <laughs> oh, I knew that had come up. Yeah, I did. Um, Do you think that like, influenced oh, thinking about yeah, additions? Definitely. Or... 
Um, I think whenever I've done talks for students, I've always, I've always started an artist talk with... Um, so I grew up on the edge of Wiltshire and I studied you know, Wiltshire and Somerset when there's foundation. Um, growing up around a lot of things like Avebury and Stone Circles and lumps and bumps and lumps and bumps in the landscape and all that mystical stuff. Um, I also worked in uh, Boggle, the circus shop in Bath, when I was about 15, 16, um, which again, just being around performers and things had a lot of impact on my life. And I also used to do a lot of factory work. So I think odd things like working in, um, oh, like the frozen chicken factory or the meat factories or the certain kind of making ice cream or dairies or on production lines, that odd mix of being around industry and lots of kind of systems as well as circus and kind of theatrical type um, juggling and things, multiples and performing. I think that put that together probably with the growing up in sort of edge of Somerset and Wiltshire's um, fits well with printmaking and multiples and productions and sort of making lots of stuff and um, all that come together seems to have... Um, Was the circus shop like supplies for... Circus? Yeah, it was a um, it was a proper circus and juggling theatrical um, suppliers. Where it's, I mean, it's quite hard to imagine. I think there's about three or four probably juggling circus shops left in the country, but certainly in the mid '90s, um, you could go into Bath or Bristol, and um, I think Bristol was the place that a lot of the stuff was made. You know, things from juggling balls to um, circus um, balancing balls and trapeze and. So we used to do a lot of that sort of thing, and I spent most Saturdays for a good sort of period of um, my sort of teenage years demonstrating and um, being around people who, without knowing it, I think hinted uh, they were alternative. They, I mean, they were jugglers and circus and folks that kind of dropped out of um, the mainstream society, so to speak. Um, and I quite like that, and I think that's sort of what that was one of the reasons, one of the things that really made me think I want to go to art school, and I want to, I want a bit of that, but I know my strengths are probably not in the performing side of it. I'm not, I don't mm-hmm. like being on stage. I'm not a, I'm not really good in front of people. I always feel a bit unhinged, even when I'm talking now to you. <laughs> um, whereas I quite like the fact that I, as an artist, I can make objects or make prints or make artworks that kind of hopefully do the talking for me, and I can slightly sit back and look at people's reactions or not look at them at all. So, yeah, a contemporary art is sort of running away and joining the circus. Yeah, not, totally. Not quite. I, I told my careers advisor at, um, at school that my, my basic plan was to run away and join the circus or go to art school. And I think it's probably the only... I mean, this was like the late 90s where careers advisors didn't really know anything about art school at all. But she certainly said that you'd be better off going to art school than going to the circus, so... That's sort of what I did. (laughs) Before and after our conversation, we heard a collage put together by Robin featuring audio clips from all the participating artists in the new SCALF exhibition. They are Philip Crewe, Daniel Clark, Shir Raz, Jake Francis, Ruth Chambers, Ed French, 
Tim O'Frady and Mez Kerr-Jones, Jack Holm, Helen Grove-White, and Sarah Trillo. That's all for this episode of the Skelf Podcast. I'd like to thank Robin Tarbett for taking the time to sit down and talk me through the Swap Editions project. You can find Swap Editions at www.swapartedition.com and Robin's own site is www.robintarbet.com. Edition 5, Island, will be on Skelf from the 22nd of January 2020 until the 21st of April 2020 and archived thereafter. Theme music on this episode is courtesy of the Cleaners from Venus and the Free Music Archive. I am Mark Belden. I'd like to send a big thank you to Claire Undy and Lizzie Munn at Skelf. This production is supported using public funding by the National Lottery through Arts Council England. Skelf is at www.skelf.org.uk and all the past exhibitions are archived there. You can email us at podcast at listen or subscribe to the Skelf podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Episode 6 will accompany the next exhibition in April 2020. Until then...